Welcome, everybody, to Marin Covenant Church. My name is Ben Kearns. I'm one of the pastors here on staff. And we were just talking about the Holy Spirit and how great that is. But let's go to the other end of the spectrum. How many of you guys are legalists? How many of you love legalism? Where, where are my legalists at? Okay, come on. I'm, I promise you, you're going to love this. By the end, you're like, yes, I'm a legalist. But right now, I understand there's some, that's kind of a, you know, a loaded term. But how many of you, like, grew up around legalism? How many of you, like, have a, a parent or a mom or an aunt or you grew up in a setting where you're like, oh, I know legalism. All right, so let me see your hands. Any, any of you guys? Okay, some of you guys. Okay, give me some of the best rules. What were some of the best religious rules you grew up around? Yeah, wear stockings. Wear stockings? Man, I wish I, that would have been great for me now. But no, that's okay. Wear stockings. I, all right, what else? No Pokemon. What? No Pokemon? All that magic? Yeah. What else? No TV. Yeah, take that, Netflix. None of that. It's from the devil. Right on. What else? Any other rules? No dancing. No dancing. That's my favorite rule. I can't dance. So I'm like, yes, I'd be such a good legalist when it comes around dancing. Yeah, so no dancing, stockings, TV. No wine. No wine. Gosh, you, those guys did not grow up in the Bay Area. You know, they're from Wisconsin. People came up with that rule. Right. <laughs> The, I mean, we love rules, and the, but let's be honest, if we, give our, if we give everyone a little break, I mean, the truth is every grouping of people kind of needs rules, and there's a way in which we kind of identify ourselves like, yes, we're all on the same team, we're all on the same tribe, we're all doing this thing together, and so we have these rules, these markers that help us go, yep, we're doing it right. How do I know I'm doing it right? Because I'm wearing stockings. That's how you know I'm doing it right. I don't know if that would work so much anymore, but you know, in Danny's context, right? How do I know I'm doing it right? Because in our house, we don't watch TV. That's how I know I'm doing it right. And the truth is, we're, humans are really simple people, and it's really a complex thing to figure out, am I doing it right? Am I a good enough person? And so we have rules that help us figure that out. And when we lived in a, a homogenous time, and everyone had the same rules, and it was really easy to say, I'm in and I'm out. But now we live in a moment in a culture where there is no, homo- no homogeneity. We aren't homogenous anymore, is what I'm trying to say. And, um, and because of that, we don't really know what the rules are. And what's wild is, we all actually have rules that we follow to make sure we are good people, but we don't care at all about somebody else's rules, right? The vegans are like, man, we are vegan and so awesome. And all the non-vegans are like, I don't care, right? The CrossFit people are even worse. Like, we're so awesome. We're CrossFit people. And everyone non-CrossFit's like, okay, that, whatever, right? We don't, we don't care. But we all have ways that we mark ourselves off. We give ourselves rules. And if we follow those rules, then we know we're a good, good people, right? And gosh, we experience this, I mean, in a total brutal way right now. Everything around vaccines and mandates um, and masks. And it's not just like, hey, these are good rules. You know that these rules mean something because we're framing the people who disagree with us as bad people, right? They're, the, they're not just wrong, they're bad people. Because unintentionally, we are trying to make sure that we know that we're good people. All humans, we want to know that we are good people. I grew up in the Bay Area. My dad lives in San Francisco. And from the time I was born, we knew that the Bay Area was God's chosen land. And I'm like, Dad, it's so expensive to live here. I mean, we could sell our house. We could move to Indianapolis and buy like whatever we want. He's like, but then you'd be in Indianapolis, son. And like from the time I was four, that was marked in me. I am a Bay Area-centric person. And my family's taken this to the other extreme. They had some family friends move to Florida, and they're like, Florida. Anyone from Florida is like the worst, right? Because they're red staters. And they don't, they're Florida, and like they're bad people. Even their friends, who are these awesome Jewish old couple, they love them. But oh, they moved to Florida. They're bad people, right? It's in us. It is in us. And, um, and my wife reminds me, because I love 
pointing out people's hypocrisy. I love looking at people's legalism and being like, you're so funny. <laughs> Look at you trying to be so good. <laughs> and then Kay's like, you are the worst kind of legalist. You are so legalistic that you're anti-legalist. So if I, like, if I see legalism, then I run away from it. And I'm legalist in my anti-legalism. And she's like, you're the worst kind. So my wife, you should thank God for her. She keeps my feet to the fire. And I'm the worst kind of legalist. Yeah, everyone's like, yeah, Katie, woo. Okay. But the bottom line is, is that we just want to be good people. Like, I think that there's nothing more sinister about it is that we want to be good people, and we just don't know how to tell if we're good people anymore. Well, the problem is, and what we're going to realize is, we've taken this very surface and shallow level of understanding what's good. Oh, I wear a mask. Oh, I eat from Whole Foods. Oh, I don't live in Florida. Like, whatever the small thing is, then I'm a good person. But being a good person is so much more complex that there's so much more to that. And we've just given this total shallow, top level version of it. And then we get to feel good about ourselves. But by, my, my, my concern is if we are, have such a high, I mean, such a shallow level understanding of being good people, we're going to miss out on what God actually has for us. And as you know, we're going through the book of John and we're in John chapter five. And this whole story arc in John chapter five is this incredible miracle that Jesus does. And then he just plays smash mouth with the, with the Pharisees. I mean, Jesus comes after them with so hard. And you know me, I'm like, oh, that seems super fun. And so on last week, I'm like, this is gonna be so great. And then this morning I was like, that was not the right call again, but I was already committed, my slides are in. And so we're gonna take a look at what Jesus has to say to the Pharisees and really what he has to say to Marine Covenant and, and go from there. But this is the bottom line that I would want for us to understand, that we do not want to miss out, um, what I say here? That we don't want to miss being God's person by being a good person, right? We think we're being good people, and if that's our very, sly, that our very low benchmark, say, I just want to be a good person, and I'm a good person because I do this one thing, well, then we actually are going to miss out. We're blinded to the work that God's doing. And God's dream for us is not that we would be good people, but that we would be God's people, that we'd understand that our identity is not rooted in some really shallow, superficial, legalistic thing that we can accomplish, but our identity is rooted in being a daughter or son of the God Most High and to participate in the good works that Jesus has for us to do. So with all that being said, let's turn to John chapter 5, verse 16 through 18. That's where we're going to find ourselves. A few years ago, our superintendent, Paul Wilson, came to our staff meeting and, uh, and gave a devotion. And he's, his devotion was ver, uh, chapter 5, verse 17. And I'm just going to read this one verse for a second. It says, in his defense, Jesus said to them, my father is always at work to this very day, and I too am working. And they gave this incredible 20-minute devotion about how God is at work. He is always at work. Like, we may not see that God is at work. We may be missing it here and there. But the truth of the matter is that God is always at work. Jesus is always at work. And our invitation is to partner with him in that continual work. Oh, such a good news. I mean, it is his theme verse. I've heard him preach um, a couple different times, and he preaches on this verse. He goes after it. He loves it. It is such a great truth. And that really is the anchor truth of this message. But this message is sandwiched in a paragraph, and it's sandwiched in a chapter that we need to take a look at to give ourselves a little bit of a broader context. So let's go back a verse to verse 16. It says this, so because Jesus was doing these things, which we'll talk about in a second, so Jesus was doing these things on the Sabbath, the Jewish leaders began to persecute him. But in his defense, Jesus said to them, my father is always at work to this very day, and I too am working. 
Now, for this reason, they tried all the more to kill him. Not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. I mean, Jesus was doing these incredible miracles, and then the way in which he was doing these miracles, and then the way he was defending himself doing these miracles, I mean, he was just putting his thumbs right in the eyeballs of these Pharisees, and it was making their heads explode. So we see earlier in the chapter, at the very beginning of your Bible says, John chapter 5, and there's a title over it. What does it say there in your Bible? The healing at the pool. Okay, so there's this story. There's this encounter. It's one of the, the six miracles that happens in the book of John. It's, it's the healing at the pool of Bethesda. And in Jerusalem, there's, this, there's these five pools, and it's where um, lame and cripples, people who couldn't walk, um, right, who couldn't function well, they would all gather around these pools. And the, the tradition was that a spirit would come and stir up the water. And if you could get to the water first, then maybe God would see you and he would heal you. And so you have all these people who, right, in their culture, in their society, I mean, they were the bottom dregs. And this was their one spot for hope. And then they would all fight to get to the pool first. Well, it says there was a man who's been lame for 38 years. For 38 years. So this wasn't like, oh, I, had, I twisted my ankle and then God healed me. And this person had been, a, been lame for 38 years. And Jesus shows up. And he shows up on the Sabbath, on a Saturday, and there's a dozens and dozens of people there. And Jesus steps over all these other people, picks this one person, says, do you want to be well? And he says, yes. And Jesus heals him. He picks up his mat. It's this incredible miracle. It is an incredible miracle. And everyone looking around is like, oh my goodness, we just witnessed God at work. And now the Pharisees are like, what in the world? What are we supposed to do with this God? I mean, who can heal a man like this? It must be from God, but yet it's happening on the Sabbath. And God told us not to work on the Sabbath. So who is this Jesus? And Jesus, instead of trying to make this like, well, let me, let me meet you halfway. And, you know, God's at work. And God actually is always at work. He sustains the universe. You know that God sustains the universe. You know that God does good things. You know that children can be born on the Sabbath. Like, you know that that's how God works. Jesus is going to just clarify this. That's what God's doing. But no, he uses it as an example and as a time to say, and I'm actually the Lord of the Sabbath. Just like how God's always at work, I'm at work. And you know these guys, it drove them crazy because it says, for this reason, they tried all the more to kill him. I mean, that's intense. And you think about this, we, in our legalistic world, we try to prove that we are good people. Right? We're good people. And what ends up happening is, when, you know when you're a good person and then someone on Facebook disagrees with you and you're like, oh, how can someone on Facebook disagree with me? I block them. Like that's such a weird thing that we do because we have like this, such, a, a, such thin skin. We just do not want to handle conflict because we're trying to be good people. So if someone disagrees with us, then we may not be a good person. So we have to like close our ears and our eyes and go, oh, I can't handle that. Well, that's what happened to the Pharisees. If they wanted to kill him, Jesus was such an affront to their worldview, to their understanding of God, that Jesus is like, no, 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 I'm actually God. This God that you worship, the Lord of the Sabbath, that is me. And it made them go crazy. So then Jesus has this defense. And what I love is he just goes after these guys full tilt. So Jesus gave them this answer. This is verse 19. Very truly, I tell you that the son can do nothing by himself. He can only see what his father is doing. Because whatever the father does, the son also does. For the father loves the son and shows him all he does. Yes, he will show him even greater works than these so that you will be amazed. So they're already all messed up because Jesus is equating himself with God. And he says, yes, not only am I God, God is my father. I'm in relationship with him. And all the works that God is doing are now going to happen through me. Oh, 
I mean, for us who have been around the church a long time, I'm like, yeah, that's so great. Jesus, God, this is so great. But I mean, think how offensive. It'd be like someone from Florida showing up at our church without a mask. We would be like, no. I'm just teasing. Okay, I shouldn't have said that. But you know what I'm saying. It's, it's, it's just that, it's that offensive, right? But what I love is in verse 24, he goes on and says this, Very truly I tell you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He will not be judged, but is crossed over from death to life. I love this. Let me read this one more time. Very truly I tell you that whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not, will not be judged, but is crossed over from death to life. And I love John because he's so generous for people like me who have a hard time with reading comprehension, who don't pick up things on the first couple times. John is trying to make it so clear. It is not about being a good person. It is not about doing the right thing. It is about being connected to Jesus Christ. It's about putting our faith in Jesus Christ. It's about having everlasting life. And we know from the very beginning of John, right, it says that we, um, through faith, are given the opportunity to be adopted into God's families as daughters and sons. That we put our faith again, John says it here, and he says it throughout the whole scriptures. I wrote these things so that you may believe. What does he say? And I tell you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be judged, but has crossed over from death into life. And this is really, at the end of the day, the invitation that God has for us. Because if we're just trying to be good people, it is a fragile attempt, and we're never going to make it. And at best, we can just stand next to someone who's worse than us and feel like good people. But as Christians, we're invited to not just be good people, but we're invited to have our entire identity change, our, our entire identity transformed, right? If I do something bad, right, I'm still my kid's son, and I've done a lot of messed up stuff that's made my, my mom's hair turn white, right? And she is still my mom. Like, no matter what I do, there's whatever conflict is there, my identity doesn't change. And we forget that our faith is rooted in our identity. And because it's rooted in our identity, we can actually handle a little bit of challenge. We can handle a little bit of conflict. We don't need to freak out because a disagreement, a challenge, a misunderstanding doesn't actually impact your identity because your identity is rooted in Christ. So what we're going to do is uh, Jesus goes on and begins to t make this defense of his authority, of why he's able to call himself God and do these miracles. And in the process, he just, like I said, thumb in the eye of these Pharisees. And I think he gives them three really, really hard challenges. And so I wanted to give... Uh, just a little trigger warning. Some people, uh, this happens in college, but people have different trauma around legalism and around a pastor giving you a challenge. And that's not normally our normal thing here at church. But a trigger warning is this. It's a statement. It's a cautioning that the content in a text, video, class, or sermon maybe, may be disturbing or upsetting. And I just wanted to be honest because Jesus, he comes after these Pharisees. He didn't give them a trigger warning, and they just wanted to kill him. I mean, that's how bad it is. I don't want you to kill me. But I do want you to think about these challenges that Jesus gives to the Pharisees, I think are a worthwhile challenge for us to wrestle with, okay? I'm not pointing out the finger at you. I just know sometimes it can feel that way. And so this is for us as a church. These were three things that I've been wrestling with all week. I would love for us as a church to wrestle with. And man, if this like sends you off the deep end, here's my email, and it forwards it to Jeff, okay? But that way you think it comes to me first. Okay. So here's the very first challenge. Is your religion blinding you to the work of God? Is your religion, the things that you do for God, the way that you understand God, the things that you want to do to honor God, is your religion actually blinding you 
to the work of God. Right? These Pharisees, they loved God. I mean, they loved him. They wanted to live in these noble lives. They tried to create these rules to protect their heart, to protect their world. They thought if they could just live correctly and follow the commandments, like the Messiah would come. They loved God. They, but in the attempt to set all these rules in place, they missed out that God was at work. Right? God is always at work to this very day. God is at work. And I wonder sometimes... And us here at Marin Covenant with our good, noble, beautiful people who are such good religious people that we may sometimes miss the actual movement of God. This last week, Pastor Danny and I went and had lunch um, with the, 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 the director of City Impact. And he's just this incredible man. He has this incredible ministry. And he's like, we're about three things. Our passion for Jesus, caring for the poor, and caring for kids. He's like, we do all this other stuff, but those are the three things. We never want to lose those three things. And he has this incredible ministry. And our church for the last four or five years has partnered with them. We love it. We love going from Marin and all of our beautiful homes and clothes and shows and shoes and everything and stockings even. And we show up and we go to the tenderloin and we're like, oh my goodness, look at these people. They are suffering. Look at them and we're going to come and serve them. But Roger's like, no, no, God is alive. God is at work. God is doing something in them and among them. And for the last couple of years, our church has partnered with them and we've gotten to do um, a, their rescue mission. And so we would go and people from our church, we would come and we'd do a service and we'd do some worship and we would pray and then we'd have dinner with them. And like, these are the dregs of society. This is the rescue mission in the tenderloin and God is at work. God is alive. God is doing something in the hearts and lives of these people. And we go and we go, that is beautiful. But my concern and my fear is what if, if any one of those people showed up here at Marine Covenant, we'd be like, whoa, lock our kids away. That is just too dangerous. That is too, that's too far. They, you know, their life isn't good. They probably they still smell like they have pot all over them, like whatever their thing is. Like we, we would all have a million reasons to go. That is too far. That is too much. But yet God is alive and he's at work. And I just wonder sometimes, my challenge for us and for you is, is our religiosity, is our religion keeping us from understanding where God is alive? Just because we gather here in the doors of Marine Covenant Church outside this place, God is doing incredible work, huge work, amazing work. And I'm not going to lie, I actually don't see it because I love the work that God's doing here at Marin Covenant, but I've been con compelled all week long to like, go, oh, gosh, I do not want to miss it. If you are doing something incredible in this immigrant community, legal or unlegal, like illegal, I can't control any of that. But if God is bringing these faithful Christians, I mean, God is bringing faithful Christians into our country from all these different ways, if God's doing something there, man, I do not want to miss it. I don't want my eyes to be closed. If God's doing something really unique in the lives of our students, man, I don't want to miss it just because they don't know how to behave well in church. We do not want our religion to blind us from the work of God. So that's challenge number one. Challenge number two, is your life adding or detracting to the testimony of Jesus? Many of us know people who do not would never walk into a church again because some Christians in their past have just wronged them. Some of those people have wronged us and we're still navigating the damage of that. John chapter five, verse 31 says this, if I testify about myself, my testimony is not true. There's another who testifies in my favor and I know that his testimony about me is true. So this whole passage is Jesus talking with the Pharisees. He's duking it out of the Pharisees. He's trying to make an argument that he is God's son. He is the Messiah. He is someone worthy to 
to be worshipped and to be followed, and the Pharisees just do not get it. So Jesus makes a defense of himself, but he knows Jewish law. You don't just get to defend yourself. You have to have witnesses. And he says, fine, if you want witnesses, I have witnesses. And he begins to tell the story about how John the Baptist was a witness. He goes on to say, all these miracles that you're seeing me do, those are a witness. And then he completes his, and says, and if you read the scriptures, you see that the scriptures themselves testify that I am who I say that I am. And for us, thinking now that we're New Testament people 2,000 years from that, but we are still God's people, is our life giving testimony to that Jesus Christ is Lord? When people see your life, when they see my life, when they see us corporately, are they like, yes, God is alive doing something? Jeff and I were talking the other week that we were kind of laughing that the most, this has been the most passionate people have ever been at our church this last year about masks, um, about all of our COVID protocols. And the man, we're trying our best, right? We're trying our best to figure it out. But man, the amount of passion that people have around it, it's incredible. Wouldn't it be wild if people were like that passionate being like, are we doing enough for our students? Are we doing enough for the poor people who've, and marginalized people who have like lost? And the truth is we're not. Like that, like it's, we're not. And that's actually like a, a, an embarrassing thing. But it'd be so rad if people, if our email boxes were jam-packed with, you don't understand, God is alive. He's doing this thing. And is our church there? Are we missing it? We don't want to miss it. Are you doing enough? Like, I mean, we don't really want those emails because we want to be, we're hypocrites. We want to be good people. But at the end of the day, that's where we want our passion, right? We want to make sure our testimonies is giving testimony to God. Now, here's the thing. We are called to be righteous and holy and pure. We're called, to, like the, the legalism around things around our faith, um, the things that we're not supposed to do, like those things actually don't change. Like you read the Sermon on the Mount, like there's a very high ethic that we're called to. Very high. But the difference is, as God is healing me and refining me and showing me the things that God needs to refine in me, I don't go, oh, God, you showed me that I should no longer be involved in this. Well, Lane, you should do it too. And Lane's like, what are you talking about, Ben? That's your issue, you know? But what happens where legalism goes bad is I think God's doing something in me and then I'm making everybody else be on that same journey. We actually want to be encouraging each other. This is what God is refining in me. This is how God's calling me to be more noble and more holy. What's God calling you to be more noble and more holy, right? That's our personal piety as we work it out. But our public righteousness, the way that we live, that is what gives testimony to God. And Jesus, you could just see, was so mad at the Pharisees. Like, listen, you guys are teachers of the law. You are sons of Abraham. Don't you understand that your framing story is the Exodus? You were slaves and you were brought out of freedom all over Deuteronomy. Don't you remember you were once slaves? So remember the foreigner, remember the orphan, remember the widow, care for those people, right? Open up your homes, open up your tables. The compelling voice for the Old Testament over and over again was you are God's people. And because you're God's people, man, be generous to those around you. The prophets, that's the number one complaint all the time was you're claiming to be these noble people, but you are not being generous and kind to the least of these. And for those of us who are now followers of Christ, it only got harder. Right? You look at the Beatitudes, you know, blessed are the poor, blessed are the meek, forgive your enemies, turn the other cheek, wash each other's feet. I mean, what Jesus is inviting us to do and how he's inviting us to live is a high, high calling. But that's what gives testimony to Jesus. I mean, it'd be so great if people around Marin were like, gosh, those people in Marin Covenant, they sure believe weird things. A lot of them wear stockings. I don't know why they do that. But you know what? They are generous as all get out. I don't really want to like them because they're weird. But you know what? They show up. They care for our school. They care for our neighborhood. They care for me. 
That is what gives us testimony. And so are we in our personal lives, in our corporate lives, adding or detracting to the testimony of Jesus? All right, the last one. Last one's actually the hardest one. This is the very end of the chapter, and Jesus just drops the hammer. I wish I knew all like the WWF like moves, like the suflex or whatever. This is it, off the top ropes to the Pharisees. He says this, verse 45. But do not think that I will accuse you before the Father. So he's doing this whole thing, trying to tell the Pharisees, listen, you're missing it, you're missing it, you're missing it. Yes, at some point you are going to be judged. But then he got to love this. He goes, but I'm not going to judge you. You want to know who's going to judge you? Your accuser is Moses, on whom you set your hopes. If you believed Moses, you would also believe me, for he wrote about me. But since you do not believe what he wrote, how are you going to believe what I say? Right? The Pharisees have banked their entire life on the Torah, on the writings of Moses. They love Moses. Moses is the man. They've turned their entire life to follow everything that Moses said. And Jesus is like, you've missed it. Like Moses knew I was coming. And if you don't even believe Moses, then I am never going to convince you. I love this scene in, in, uh, in uh, Star Wars, right? When Darth Vader goes, your lack of faith is disturbing, right? I mean, Jesus is a good guy and Darth Vader is a bad guy, but you know, that's what Jesus is saying to the Pharisees. He's like, you are missing it totally. And so here's the really last question, the last challenge. I'm not going to lie. Even as a pastor, this is a brutal challenge for me as well. Are you willing to wrestle with the root issue? Over and over and over again in scripture, Jesus makes it clear He's not just a good teacher. He's not just a miracle worker. Jesus is God's son. He's made himself equal to God, which means when he says and does things, he's doing it to show us what God is like. When he teaches us, he's teaching us as the words of God saying, this is what I'm calling you to do. And we're still missing it. And so are you willing to wrestle with the root issue? And I, and I say that because I think at the end of the day, we, we put up all these smoke screens. We're like, where do dinosaurs fit into the Bible? I don't know. Well, then I'm out. Um, I don't understand. You know, what, what, is gay marriage okay or not? Well, I don't know. I'm out. Like, it's, we have all these complex issues, and it's too complex. And the truth is, most of us haven't read our Bible since we were in third grade and re- reading flannel graphs. And, like, we, you know, we have some weird aunt who, like, made it all toxic for us. And so we, we're out. But really, that's a smokescreen. I mean, there are brilliant people, brilliant authors, brilliant faithful people all over human history who have modeled the love of Christ, who have answered those questions. What about suffering in a broken world? I don't understand it. There's really smart people who have wrestled with that. Because at the end of the day, it isn't just about understanding it. Think of the people in Jesus' day. They saw Jesus do miracles. Right? We're like, oh, if we could just see Jesus do that. They saw Jesus do miracles. They debated with him and they still missed it. And so my, my prayer for us, my challenge for us is are we willing to wrestle with the root issue? And the root issue, according to scripture, is that our heart is just hard. We're prideful people. We think we're good people. We've drawn up the rules to make sure that we're good people so that we never have to deal with, with the truth that actually Our hearts are made of stone. We're not faithful people. We've put God in a box and we've made our religion more important than the movement of God. And I want to be a part of a church. I want to be a human being. I want to be a part of a grouping of people who are willing to hit hit straight on. Maybe we're missing it. Is our heart too hard? Is our religion helping us miss it? Is our testimony missing it? Because God is alive. Everyone goes, oh, God's not doing stuff in Marin. There's no Christians in Marin. That's so stupid. God is alive. He's active. He's doing incredible things in and among us. And I want us to be a church that is on the front lines, figuring it out. 
wrestling with it. And we may be messing with it, but instead of going, we're missing it, and then that's it, I'm out, we wrestle with each other. And I love this picture. These are some old Jewish men. It's what I love about old Jewish men and the way that they understand scripture, and you actually see this in the New Testament, the way that Jesus interacts with the Pharisees, is that they are willing to open up the scriptures. They're willing to challenge each other. They're willing to wrestle with each other. In our context, we just go, ah, I cancel you. Ah, I'm going to a new church. Ah, I don't like that. No, we sit down and we wrestle. We wrestle together. We are called to be the body of Christ. And we, because our identity is in Christ, we can disagree. I love it. In, a, in the Jewish tradition, there's like, you know, there's like these two rabbis that are debating, like, who's right, me or this person? They're like, well, that's only two decisions. There's 68 other options that might be out there too, right? There's 70 different positions as that kind of this Jewish, uh, this parable goes, you know? And so we want to wrestle together. Because the truth is, I have no idea what God's totally up to in Marin. We're working hard to figure out. Our staff, thankfully, is working their tails off to try to figure that out. You who are serving in our church and are part of our church are figuring it out. But we can't just write each other off because we disagree. We need to wrestle together. And so I put my email there too. So like, again, it'll be forwarded to Jeff. But at least you feel like you're writing something out there. Being like, I want to wrestle with this. Because our identity is in Christ, I'm not scared of disagreement. I'm not scared of seeing the world differently. I'm not scared of any of that because we, at the end of the day, want the same thing, which is to partner with the movement of God at work in the place that he's called us to do. And in the process, gosh, I think God's going to do really great things in us and through us. And what a joy to do church together. So let me pray for us. um, And then we're going to continue in our time of worship. And uh, gosh, what a fun adventure that God has for us. Who knew John was going to be so great? Jeff did, actually. Okay. All right, let me pray for us. Heavenly Father and our gracious God, gosh, in my head, it is so easy to acknowledge you, God. It's so easy to acknowledge that Jesus is made in your, I mean, that, you, that Jesus is God along with the Holy Spirit, that you have authority and you have power and that you're moving and you're alive and you're active, that you invite me, you invite us to be adopted into your family through faith and to partner with you in the work that you have here in our context. All of that, I just, yes, I believe it in my head with all of my head. And we just ask that you would be so gracious in the ministry of your Holy Spirit, that you would take these truths that we know in our head and graciously and gently plant them deep in our hearts so that our identity would be so rooted in you that we wouldn't panic around disagreement, we wouldn't panic around conflict, but we would see that as part of the process of refining the call that you've put on our lives and on our church. Because we do not want to be good religious people. We want to be your people, partnering with you, doing the incredible work that you are already doing here in Marin. So we pray that you'd have your way with us individually, have your way with us corporately. And at the end of the day, it would all be for the glory of your son, Jesus. Amen and amen.